0: So if you're new today, we've been in a series for 11 weeks now where we've been looking at the book of Proverbs and learning how to apply the ancient wisdom of Scripture to our modern lives. Um, our key text has been found in the first couple of verses in Proverbs where King Solomon, the predominant author of the book and the wisest man to ever live, uh, states his purpose and his intent in writing these Proverbs to us. He says in verse 1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, what is just, and what is fair. And and even though I've reminded you for 11 weeks straight, I'm going to say it one more time today, it's clear in this scripture, as Solomon introduces this topic of wisdom, that wisdom is not knowledge alone. It's not simply knowing what the word of God has to say or knowing the right thing to do. It is applying that knowledge to our day-to-day lives. Biblical wisdom is all about application. It is to do what is right, what is just, and what is fair. Uh, But there's another word that he uses in this scripture that I would like to hone in on really closely today. We we mentioned it briefly at the beginning of the series, but I want to spend the entirety of our day talking about it this morning. And that is a word that all of us hate, but we all need in our lives. It's a word necessary if we're going to apply any of the knowledge that we're reading about in scripture here. It's discipline. Everyone say discipline. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even a fun word to say. Discipline. And here's what it means in the Hebrew. It's the word yasar, and it means to instruct, to teach, and to train. To instruct, to teach, and to train. I like the last word there, to train. That tells me that living wisely is all about training well. And whether we realize it or not, ultimately, that's why we've been in this series for the last 11 weeks. It's for the purpose of preparation. It's for the purpose of training. That's why someone stands on this stage every single week and shares the word of God. It's not to tickle intellect. It's not to fulfill a religious obligation. It's for the purpose of training. It's to prepare us for something. The reason in week one, we talked about tuning our ear to wisdom and knowing how to choose the wise path instead of the foolish path is so that when the foolish path presents itself to us in life, we have been prepared and we have been trained to walk in the direction of our God. The reason we talked about building on bedrock and ensuring that we've built our lives on something unshakable like the word of God is so that when the storms of life come, we don't find ourselves taken out, but we're prepared, we're ready for the storms. The reason we talked about money last week isn't because we wanted to suck more of it from you, it's because we need to be prepared for the future financially and train ourselves to be disciplined with our spending so that we don't waste all we've got now and we're not used for kingdom purposes and our resources. Every week, what's happening in this building is preparation, it's training, it's thinking ahead for what we might find ourselves in so that we can be well prepared. And today, as we conclude this series, having now trained for 11 weeks, I wanna talk about a promise that Solomon makes to those who are prepared, to those who have trained well. For, for our, our final chat, we're gonna look at Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one, where Solomon says this, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Come on, let's read it all together since it's our last one, shall we? The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Are you ready for the final installment? Give me a baby amen. Come on, let's go. We're gonna preach together. All right. I wanna title our final chat, It's Training Day. It's Training Day. And for anyone who just got nervous, I will not quote Denzel Washington at any point during this sermon, nor am I advocating you go home and watch that movie with all the foul language. That's the devil's language. That's not it at all. It's just a play on word, all right? Some of you are like, what's wrong with that movie? You're going to get saved at the end of this service. It's going to be great. (laughs) Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your presence here today. Uh, And before we go to the word, I I do want to take a moment and pray for experienced church. Would you just join me in praying for another community for a second? God, we thank you for the work you're doing in that house. We thank you for every life that has been saved, every marriage that has been restored, every addicted that's been set free. God, we thank you for the work of ministry taking place in in that space this morning in the mission. And we bless them today. We bless another church in our community. We're not here to fight for people. We're not here to be divisive, to speak ill of what you're doing elsewhere. God, we partner with your work in this city and we bless them today. And God, I ask for great generosity to well up in this community so that we can invest well in what you're doing across town. And now as we go to your word, I pray as we've been praying every single week in this series, James chapter one, you said, if we lack wisdom, we could ask you for it and you would give it to us. We pray for wisdom as it comes to preparation. Would you show us how to prepare, how to train well so that we can see victory in the battle. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and the Father's house said, amen, amen. Um, I am, I'm really grateful. In fact, I was just talking to our team about this this last week. I'm really grateful for the space that we get to do church in every single weekend. I'm really grateful for this building. I'm grateful that we have parking, even though Robin doesn't want you to use it next week. Uh, I'm grateful that we have it below the building. Uh, I'm grateful that we have a beautiful space with sunlight for our kids to to learn about the word of God. I'm I'm grateful for the fact that uh, every single week when we pull up to this space, for the most part, it's been well-prepared for us and it's been minimal setup up. The buildings allowed us to do some things permanent like hang speakers from the ceiling and run cabling. And I, I, I love where we get to meet. You don't know the whole story, but being here is a miracle. We weren't supposed to be here. And yet a year before we started gathering, God miraculously opened up this door. And I believe that this is going to be home for the future for the Father's house. This, this is a beautiful space. And, and I, know that, I know that there's some people that, um, that get a little nervous because we meet in a Masonic building. Uh, I, I know that there's some people who believe that, like, God's power is somehow limited because of the name that's on the front of the building, and that somehow he's not interested in gathering with his people in a space like this. I know that because I talk to these people on a somewhat regular basis. At least once a month, someone comes for the first time, and they pull me aside in the lobby, and they share their concerns about why we shouldn't be gathering in a space like this. And, you know, I'm very poised and pastoral and gentle in my response, and I just remind them, Hey, you know, I don't think God's really intimidated by paintings on a wall or the pagan practices of the unredeemed. I think God is totally fine showing up in this space. In fact, every time we've gathered in this building for the last four years, his presence has been consistent. Anytime we've drawn near to him, he draws near to us. And then if they get a little bit combative, then I just kind of jab a little bit like, Hey, listen, if you just spent five minutes reading your Bible, Here's what you'd see. Jesus was very comfortable in dark places. He never had a difficult time walking. In fact, he spent most of his time in dark places because that is where the light works best. And I am convinced that if Jesus was walking the earth today here in San Francisco, he would not be in empty stained glass buildings with crosses and steeples on them. He'd be in the streets, he'd be among the broken, he would be in the doorways that the religious would not dare darken. He's all about hanging out in places where people are like, I didn't know that Jesus could come into that space. He's not intimidated by this room. And I love that we get to gather here. But that said, gathering in a space on Sundays that is used for other purposes six days a week has its challenges. Uh, Namely, we don't know what's happening in here on Saturdays before we step in. And for those on the Vibe team who set up church, shout out to the Vibe team, those guys who make church happen every single week. Also, shameless plug, if you'd like to join I mean, no pressure. I mean, your pastor's... Robin and I are here every single week setting up church for you. We pull our kids out of bed at six o'clock in the morning just to make a space for you. No pressure, just if you wanna join the team, you're welcome, just kidding. But uh, we we set up church in here every week and sometimes we see the residue of what took place in here the night before. I remember a few weeks into our uh, our gathering here, uh, there was a a Chinese opera taking place here and they still had one more performance on Sunday night. And uh, we walked in and unbeknownst to us, there was a whole symphony set up on this side of the stage with some stanchions around it that said, do not touch and so our team's like what do we do where do we set up our stuff and uh, we, we had no choice. So we just we just put some black tablecloths over all of the stuff over there and didn't even mention it. We probably should have mentioned it to the room, but we didn't even mention it. And so the whole sermon, I just saw people like turning over there, looking at it, expecting, you know, Pastor Tim to unveil some massive sermon prop like he always does. But instead it just looked like, you know, a heap of bodies over there on the other side of the stage. And we never said anything. I, I remember a, a few months later after we started gathering, uh, there was a crab feed in our kid's space the night before. And if you have ever walked into a room, after like seafood the night before, it's nasty, it's stanky. And and, like, it smelled like rotting fish in an an alleyway. And I mean, you know, I'm watching parents drop off their kids just like, oh, this doesn't seem like a really great spot for my kids to be safe. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, A few weeks ago, we we, we walked up to set up and there was an altar, like a giant wooden carved altar with like velvet on top of it in this hallway. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm looking for blood on the floor, like what happened, you know, and we tucked it away in the side, but stuff happens in this building all the time. But I don't think anything as weird as what took place yesterday in this room has ever happened before. Because yesterday, in the very space that I am standing right now, there was a boxing ring set up on this stage, where for the entirety of Saturday, people were punching each other in the face with blood flying everywhere. And you might ask, well, Tim, how did you know that there was a boxing match here? Well, because myself and a number of people from the father's house came to watch other people punch each other in the face to witness this event, because one of our very own baptism leads, Bryson Davis, right there in the back, was one such fighter in the ring. In fact, I think we have a photo of him. Yeah, there he is. Ladies, look away, okay? Okay take him off the stage. We can't... <laughs> now, I, I, it was really cool to watch Bryson fight in the same room that he worships in. It was awesome. I said this first service, I'm gonna say it again. It was really cool to watch you fight on the same stage that you're gonna be preaching from one day because that's the call of God on your life. But what's fascinating to me is not watching Bryson fight, having known him now for a couple of years, it's really fascinating for me to watch him prepare for a fight the way he trains to get ready. I mean, and it is, it is rigorous. What this guy puts his body through, it's insane. In the weeks leading up to the fight, he'll train multiple times a day for hours and hours on end to the point of exhaustion. He lives on a very limited diet, like 1,000 calories a day. I'm like, I eat 1,000 calories before 9 a.m. Like, are you kidding me? He literally chokes down like two to three gallons of water every single day, trying to flush out his system. And then I don't know how he does this, but somehow in the week leading up to weigh in before the fight, he can lose like 10 to 15 pounds in a week. Someone's like, sign me up for that diet plan in Jesus name, yeah. But then he'll get the weigh in and then in a day, he'll gain all of that weight back so that he's bulked up for the fight. He's, he's absolutely gonna be destroyed when he's 65, but man, in his 20s, like it's amazing like how he's biohacked his body and the things that he can do. It's inspirational to watch this guy train for a fight. And so knowing that I was going to be covering the subject matter today of training and preparation, I I called Bryson on the phone uh, last week and I said, hey, can I just ask you a simple question about the mindset you have as you prepare for a fight? And I want to take some notes and, and use it in the sermon. I said, what role does training play in preparation for a battle? It's like, Is there people that just are going to win no matter what? They're just stronger no matter what? Like they see red, they turn like Hulk, and they just, ah, no matter how much you train, they're going to take you out? Or does training really matter all that much? And I'll never forget what he said. It was a phrase that he learned when he was a Marine, and I wrote it down so that all of us could write it down and remember it as well. But he said this. When you're under pressure, you never rise to the occasion. You always fall to the level of your training come on, let that sink in for a moment. You will never rise to the occasion. You will always fall to the level of your training. Training is crucial to the outcome of a battle. It makes all the difference in the world. And I don't think that's true just of Muay Thai. I don't think that's true just of the Marines. I think that's a spiritual reality. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't In fact, I think that's a spiritual reality that Solomon is speaking to right here in this scripture, in our final scripture of this series. He's talking about the value of training. When he speaks of these prepared horses, this is what he has in mind. Let let me offer a little biblical context for the statement Solomon makes here when he says a horse is prepared for battle. In biblical times, a horse was a sign of military strength. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, you'll often find the writers equating the strength of an army to the number of horses or the number of their chariots. The the, the more horses, the stronger the army. And because of their military value, horses were predominantly reserved for battle. Uh, The the average transportation would have taken place on a donkey or a camel or some other means, but, but horses were reserved for the armies. A king knew that the value of that horse was so so much greater in a military application. But you, you couldn't just send a horse out into battle without it first being prepared. It needed to be trained. You couldn't just mount a horse, walk out there, and expect to win. That horse needed to know the realities of war. They needed to know how to stand in formation. They needed to know how to charge towards danger and not run away from it. They needed to know when the, when the swords were clanking and, and when arrows were flying in their direction, they needed to know how to continue to stay laser focused on the battle and not run the other direction. That horse needed to be prepared. And once a horse was well prepared for battle, there was not a single military instrument of that day that was more valuable. They had incredible military value. In fact, God himself speaks to the, the value of these trained horses in Job 39, where he says, do you give the horse its strength or clothe, it, clothe its neck with flowing manes? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into, his, into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It doesn't shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It can't stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of a trumpet, it snorts, aha, I love it when a horse says aha, aha. <laughs> it catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. I mean, that, that's, that's very expressive language. God understands the value of a prepared horse. And this is the image that Solomon has in his mind as he begins to pen this scripture to paper. The horse is prepared for battle. He sees a trained horse with a soldier on top, chest high, walking boldly into the battle because it knows we've trained for this. We've prepared for this. I'm not gonna run away from my enemy in fear. Everything we've done was leading us up to this moment and I can fight. That's what it looks like to be prepared. But as I, as I considered this imagery this last week, I was faced with a question, a question I think that we would all be wise to ask as we consider what Solomon is saying here. And it's this. Does that image describe me? When I walk out onto the battlefield, when I am toe to toe with my adversary, when I get the diagnosis, when it feels like I'm falling into that temptation again, when I'm in the thick of battle, is there a bold confidence in my heart that says I've trained for this, I've prepared for this, I do not need to run from this enemy? Or do we find ourselves timid and afraid and retreating as a result of our lack of training? Have we failed to prepare and thus we're failing in the fight? And sadly, I think there's a lot of believers that are falling on the battlefield. A lot of believers that do not have any boldness when they walk out up against their enemy. And I think the reason we are failing is because we haven't trained well. And the reason we are not training well is because of a misapplication of this text. Let me be clear about what I'm speaking of right here because I don't wanna be accused of using equestrian or, or, or military analogies without being abundantly clear about what I'm speaking of. You are in a spiritual battle right now. Let's be clear. There is a war being waged for your soul, friends. If you could peel back the curtain in the, in the natural realm and see into the spirit, you would see that there are demons right now that are hunting your life. Your enemy hates you. He hates your family, he hates the future that God has for you. He hates the fact that you're in church right now. He hates the fact that we transform this building into a house of worship every single Sunday, even though he has authority six days a week, but that authority is usurped when the believers come into this space and lift up the name of Jesus and lives are saved. He hates you and he will do everything he can to destroy you. In fact, his objective is clear to steal, to kill, and destroy everything God wants to do in your life. And he will stop at nothing to get that to happen. He he will attack your weaknesses. He'll look for those moments where you're you're fragile and he'll, he'll find a way to tempt you into failure. That's his objective. He wants to take you out and he does not play fair, he fights to win. This is not up for question. The reality of spiritual warfare is one that all of us must come to grips with. The question is whether or not we are prepared for the battle ahead of time. And sadly, many of us are not because we have misapplied this text. It's a misunderstanding of what Solomon is saying here. In fact, scriptures like this throughout scripture that the modern church has built a theology around that has become an Achilles heel for the body of Christ. Let me show you what I mean. Back to our text. Solomon says in Proverbs 21:31, "The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord." All of us love the second half of this scripture. The victory belongs to the Lord. Yeah. Everyone loves it when the preacher gets on stage and he taps into his inner Southern Baptist and he's like, it might feel like the devil's got you backed up in a corner. He's got his foot on your neck. It feels like all hell is coming against you. But I'm here to tell you that the devil is not coming against you. He's coming against your God. You know what I'm saying? you've been in that service, right? But the battle belongs to the Lord, and then Phil Wickham comes out. The battle belongs to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love that stuff, and we should. It's true. Hey, let's let's be clear. Your enemy has been defeated. He's already been squared away by the victory that Jesus won on the cross. You are never facing an enemy that has not already been defeated. The battle is fixed. You win every single time. That, that, that is clear. But we need to be careful that we do not apply the truth of the second half of this scripture without first applying the truth of the first half of this scripture. In fact, let me say it like this I believe the promise of the second half is predicated on the practice of the first half. Because what did he say at the beginning? The horse is prepared for the battle. And then the Lord brings the victory. Without the preparation, there is no victory. In fact, let me say it like this, and I apologize if this is cheesy, but you know how much preachers like alliteration, so I'm just gonna throw this out there, all right? When we bring the preparation, God brings the domination. hallelujah. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Oh, I will. (laughs) Listen, here's the broken theology that's out there a theology that, that suggests preparation is unnecessary because of God's sovereignty. It's this idea that I don't need to be prepared. I don't need to be trained. I don't need to know anything spiritually because ultimately God is big and my big God is going to just make his way into my battle and win it for me every single time. His sovereignty will always prevail. Friends, that is not Bible and that is not true. That's not how it works. In fact, let me offer a phrase that I've often used in counseling, (laughs) if you can call what I do that. Uh, But it's a little, it's a bit snarky, but it's true. A a lack of preparation on your part does not constitute an emergency on God's part. Let me say it like this. A lack of training on your part does not obligate God to a victory. He's not gonna just show up every single time. He wants you prepared. Like, Like, let's just think about this logically for a moment, Okay. If God is wise, which he is, and he is omniscient, he knows all things, which he does, and he sees your life before it ever takes place, as it says in the, one of the prophet's books, Jeremiah, I knew all of your days before they ever came to pass. All of your days were written in a book. If he knows the day that you're gonna get the diagnosis, if he knows the day that the marriage is gonna begin to fall apart, if he knows the day that trauma is going to enter your situation, if he's aware of all of this stuff in advance, how cruel would it be for God to just leave you out in the process and never allow you to prepare spiritually for those eventualities? That's not how he works. Because he's omniscient, because he knows all things, in his love and in his wisdom, he allows you to prepare in advance so that you don't get swept out in the middle of that that trauma or that sickness, but that you can stand strong in the middle of it. He's a God of preparation. And and I know we got some heck of spiritual people here at the church. You're like, that sounds way too practical. That's not spiritual enough for me. Let's consider this verse right here. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training, it's good. But training for godliness is much better. If you ever don't want to work out one day of the week, this is your scripture right here. Get this one tattooed across your biceps. Well, you know, I don't work out because spiritual training is better. Nah, come on, what are you doing? I'm not training the spirit. Okay. (laughs) Training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should... Accept it. This is why we work hard. It's why we continue to struggle. Our hope is, yes, still in the living God, because he's the savior of all people. So, so, so Paul is clear here. Hey, my hope is in God. My hope is not in my training. My hope is not in my flesh. It's not in my own ability to overcome this circumstance. God still sits on the throne, and he is my eternal source of hope. But training is valuable. He makes it clear. Train yourself to be godly. Work hard. Struggle. There is a benefit to godly training. So this begs a question, a question I want to spend the remainder of our time on together this morning, one that all of us need to answer, and here it is. If training is so valuable, how do I prepare for spiritual battles? What does that preparation look like? And honestly, that question could be the subject of an entire series all its own. In fact, it was, similarly, back in the thick of the pandemic, we did a series um, online called Fight Right, looked at Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God, and talked all about preparing ourselves for battle. If you want, you can go back to the archives and you can check those sermons out and get a more exhaustive explanation of preparation. But for today, I just wanna focus on one single article of warfare mentioned Ephesians in Ephesians chapter six. And here's why all of the other articles of warfare are defensive in nature, helmets, breastplates, shields, they're defensive. And don't get me wrong. Defense is is important. You need to know how to defend yourself against the enemy, but most battles are not won by defense alone. You're not going to win the war with the enemy simply by dressing up in defensive things you're gonna to need to know how to fight. You're gonna to need to know how to engage some offense. And among the articles of warfare listed in Ephesians chapter six, there is only one that we've been given to fight with. In fact, in scripture, there is one predominant weapon that we've been called to train with. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter six. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God. Take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. This is all we got. This is the only weapon we have to train with. I would love to tell you that like it's a James Bond movie and the wall's going to fall down and you're going to have all these weapons that you can choose from to go into battle with. But you ain't James Bond and Jesus ain't British. Which is confusing, I know, because sometimes in pictures he's blonde and he's got blue eyes, but that's not Jesus, okay? He's Jewish, he's olive skinned. Never mind, different sermon for a different time. But this is the weapon that we have been given time and time and time again in Scripture it is the Word of God. And I know that even as I say that, I just lost like 50 people. Here we go. Another sermon about reading the Bible. I hear these all the time. I know, damn Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Like I'm gonna just check Instagram now. Hold on. Oh, I have so many things floating in my head right now. But I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain. It's gonna be great. This is not a sermon about reading the Bible. In fact, let me make a, a clear statement, emphatically: reading the Bible alone does not win battles. There's plenty of people that read the Bible that are not winning currently in the spiritual battles that they're facing. This is not an issue of reading. In fact, when Paul makes this statement, he is clear that this is not just a reading assignment. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That word in the Greek, it is the word of rhema, and it means spoken or uttered. Perhaps a more accurate translation of this scripture would read, take with you the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. Accurately stated, this does not become a weapon until it's spoken. This does not become a weapon until it makes its way off the pages and onto your lips, until it becomes a declaration over your situation. Hey, hey, let let me warn you something. The devil is not intimidated that you own a Bible. It doesn't do you any good sitting on your bookshelf or on your nightstand collecting dust. This is not garlic to the devil's vampire and he makes him go, that's not how it works. He's not scared that you have the Bible app downloaded on your phone or that you get sent push notifications for the verse of the day every single day. That does not strike fear in the heart of your enemy. The only thing that activates this to turn it into, from a book into a weapon is when it is spoken, when it makes its way off of your lips and into your situation. This is why in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, it doesn't say that he reached into his back pocket and grabbed a Berean Bible and thumbed through it real quick. <laughs> he didn't even have pockets. He was wearing a tunic. No, what did Jesus do? He remembered what the Word of God had to say. He knew what the Word of God had to say. He didn't have to read anything. He began to speak it out. He said in the face of the enemy, it is written. It is written. And as a result of his ability to speak... He found victory over temptation in the wilderness. Well, listen, if you are going to see victory in your spiritual battles, it's not gonna be just because you thumb through this thing a couple times a year. You need to know what the Word of God has to say. You need to remember what the Word of God has to say. And you need to be able to declare what the Word of God has to say over your situation. Do Do you know why we did a read campaign at the beginning of this year and asked the whole church to read through the New Testament together? Not so that you'd have a homework assignment, so that you would know what the Word says, and you could speak it out over your situation. You know why I asked everybody to read through the book of Proverbs every single day during this series? Not so that it would save me the trouble of having to preach it to you on Sundays, because you already know what it says. It was so that you would remember it in the midst of a battle, and you could speak it out over your enemy and live out the Word of God. You know why Robin and I wake up every single day an hour before our children pour ourselves a cup of coffee and crack open the book and read the same scriptures we've read year after year after year after year? Because this is the weapon that God has given us and I am training for something that I'm gonna face tomorrow and I need to know what the word of God has to say so that I can speak it out over my situation. This is what training looks like, people. I know it's boring. I know sometimes it doesn't feel inspiring. I know that there are days where you love it and other days where you feel like it's a chore, but training looks like every single day, I open up the Word of God and I read it and I recite it and I sing it and I speak it and I declare it until it becomes my reality. Training looks like knowing the stories of this book more than you know the stories of someone on Instagram. It looks like knowing the lines of this text more than you know the headlines of your favorite news organization. It means starving your flesh and feeding your spirit because man does not live on bread alone, but he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It looks like waking up every single day and saying, as our title suggests, today is all about training because I don't know the battle I'm facing tomorrow, but I need to prepare myself today so that I've got a weapon in my arsenal that I can use against my adversary. Oh, listen, there is a battle coming. There is a battle coming tomorrow. I'm not a prophet of doom, but I'm just telling you right now, there are battles coming in your life. And the enemy knows what's going to take you out. He's watched your tape. He's seen where you're weak. He knows where he can strike. He's coming for your family. He's coming for your babies. He's coming for your future. But you have a weapon that is tried and true. A weapon that can be deployed against any one of his, any one of his attacks and it will prove victorious every single time. When he tries to come against your purity, you can say Psalm 119 said that I will keep myself pure by hiding the word of God in my heart so that I might not sin against him. When he come against your health and your babies and tries to put sickness in your life, you can say Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2 says that by the stripes of Jesus, my physical body has been made whole. As he comes against your church, you can say, no, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the offensive attack of the body of Christ. Come on, what are you facing today? If you're in the middle of addiction and he's trying to get you to fall back into it, Luke chapter four says, no, that I have been liberated. The spirit of God is upon me to be liberated from this thing, whom the son sets free is free indeed. I'm getting tired in the battle. I'm getting tired of fighting Isaiah 40. I will rise up like on wings with eagles. I will run and not grow weary. I will walk and I will not be faint. Come on, what are you facing? There is a scripture in the word of God that needs to be deployed from your mouth so that you can see victory in that thing. And if it feels like like victory is too far out in the distance, let me tell you what I've been holding on to, Isaiah 40. Though so the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord will stand forever. If it feels like I'm a touch passionate about this subject today, it's because I am. I'm passionate about it because I'm living this right now. I'm walking this out as we speak. I'll spare you the gory details. Maybe I'll share more in the weeks to come, but... My family and I have had plenty of opportunity to walk out onto the battlefield and go toe to toe with the enemy over the last few weeks. And the way I see it, I got two options. Option one is I give up and I wave the white flag and I surrender to an enemy that my God has already defeated. Option two is I cling to the immutable, unchangeable, always victorious word of God. And I just keep swinging and swinging and swinging, (laughs) trusting that his word will prove true in my life. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a quitter. And neither is my God. (laughs) And so I'm just gonna keep preparing my horses. I'm gonna keep training until the day that God determines that victory is coming. And I commission you to do the same. There's chapter and verse. There's a sword available to you today. May we know the word of God. May we remember the word of God and may we speak it out over our situations. In fact, that's how I would like to conclude this morning. And I'm gonna invite the worship team to come as we, as we close here. And here's how I wanna to end today. Uh, there was a song we sang at the conclusion of our, our worship set together. Uh, I forget the name of it, but victory is yours. And in, in the bridge of that song, there's some statements about the God whose voice rolls like thunder. I'm going to pull down heaven. I'm going to see victory. These are not just lyrics that some creative person wrote down one day. These are lyrics that are founded in the word of God. You know, part of the reason we constantly are asking, hey, lift your voice. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, worship with us. We're not trying to hype a room up and make it feel a little more energetic. Like we don't walk away from a Sunday morning going like, okay, people were jumping and bouncy and excited, so it was a successful day in church. No, no, we consider a successful day when there's breakthrough in the lives of people, when there's victory, when someone walks in the room one way and then they walk out differently because they've encountered the presence of Jesus. But here's the thing, I can't make that happen for you I can't declare the Word of God over your life like you can. There there is something that has to well up in the heart of a believer that attaches their faith to the Word of God and makes a personal declaration, this is going to be my inheritance. This is mine for the taking. And, And I don't know what you're walking through this morning. I don't know what situation you find yourself in. Maybe you do have sickness like Brittany did last week. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe there's an addiction you can't shake. Whatever the case may be, I know that there's probably a lot of us who feel like we're toe-to-toe with the enemy today. And the weapon you got sitting right here. It's the Word of God. And we're gonna have you sing that and declare that over your situation this morning, because I believe in the declaration there is victory. In the declaration there is victory. But before we do that, I, I do wanna pray for a very specific group of people And in just a moment, we'll stand to our feet and we'll worship one last time. But before that, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And and here's what I wanna pray with. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Tim, I I find myself in a situation today where you've talked about horses and battles and armies and all the rest of that stuff. I, I do want to declare God's word over my life, but I don't even know that I'm in relationship with him. To use battle terms, I don't even know that I've been enlisted in the army. And how can I fight in an army I'm not enlisted with? Today, I wanna invite you into that relationship. If you're at a distance from God today, if you feel like there's something between you and you know that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, it's time for you to commit your life to Jesus, I wanna pray that prayer of commitment with you before we begin to sing. And no one's looking around, but if you could, really briefly, before I pray that with you, would you just slip up your hand and say, Tim, that's me, I need to give my life to Jesus this morning. I got you in the back here, thank you. Yeah, right up there, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, got you, girl, right there. Yeah. Cool. All right, we're gonna pray this together as a family. And uh, I want everyone to lift up their voice and pray with those that are making this commitment. Say, Jesus, come on, say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I believe you died to forgive me of my sins and that you rose again to give me new life. Help me to follow you, to be your disciple, and walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate for every single one of those making that decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, We want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.